I'm your host, Patrick Sheehan, along with my co-host, Dave Martinson. Dave, how are you today? Doing really good, Pat. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. I think we had a successful Oscars. We were live tweeting it. I thought we had some some great hits. Yeah, and if you missed on, out on those live tweets, make sure to follow the show at NostalgiaPod on Twitter, as well as follow me at Martin Swagger and Pat at Sheen World Peace. Let us know what you think. All, all, all feedback is welcome. You know, this is we're we're, start, we're trying to get this off the ground, and I think one of the things that we're most open to right now is that critical feedback because we want to get better. We want to provide the best show for you. We want to have you coming back every week. So feel free to get at us on our respective Twitters and just give us a shout-out. Let us know what you think. Yeah, and you can find the show right now at soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod. And by next week, we will be on iTunes and Stitcher. Be able to get the show however you please. Once we're on iTunes, throw some ratings, please. So we have a pretty packed show today, so maybe we should jump right into it. We're going to talk about The Life of Pablo, I think an album we both have some pretty passionate opinions about. But I think first, we're going to do some quick hit thoughts. How was your Oscars, Dave? Tell me how it went for you. In terms of predictions, I think I did really well, and overall, I... More or less enjoyed the show. It was really long. But the carpet started at 7, and the show didn't end until midnight. Like, two minutes before midnight wrapped up. I yeah, it, it was way too long, and we'll get into why. But overall, uh, I got most of my picks right. Uh, the, the main picks that like we really like went in on, I was 8 for 10, and the two I got wrong, I had my runner-ups. Nice. So, that's I, a lot of points. I was not as accurate as you were. I only had uh, 12 points. I added it up. But uh, and I'm pretty sure you probably around like 16 to 18 something like eight, that. Eight, 18 for 20. Yeah, so that's that's pretty that's extremely solid on your part. I was most excited for Ex Machina. Yeah, I'm really happy that happened too. I, that was a good pick though. I went out on a limb on most of my picks. I didn't go with most of like the favorites. I wanted right. to mix it up a little bit. But Ex Machina was one I actually felt pretty confident in, and uh, I felt really excited for it. Mm-hmm. I also loved uh, Alicia Vikander getting the uh, Best Supporting Actress nom or yeah. uh, the award. I'm sorry, the win. Bay. Yeah, she is Bay. She had quite the year last year, and I feel like she's poised to just like take over. Yeah, four and five coming up. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was a great tweet by yourself. Maybe the the most surprising win for me but i think you had as your runner-up was rylance yeah for best supporting actors sylvester salone was upset as according to most people he was the favorite but he did not get it and it's really interesting because if you're trying to you know get a takeaway from it probably because stallone is like an outsider in terms of stallone was in his third expendables movie very recently and now you're gonna have him on your stage delivering a speech for being the character he had already acted on six other times before Creed, of course, Rocky Balboa. So I guess I can understand why they didn't pick him. And Mark Rylance was also really good. Mm-hmm. And I guess if you if you watch Creed, do you think he was the best support, uh, best supporting actor favorite? Probably not. But everyone was just on board with that career achievement type exactly. narrative in terms of giving him the award. So I was surprised. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think Rylance was a good choice. But yeah, Sylvester Stallone not winning is like the most Philly thing of being like the <laughs> head, head over heels favorite and That's great. <laughs> just falling falling short. What did you take away? I really liked what Chris Rock did. I think he did as good of a job as can be done 
as can be expected, given the overarching situation regarding Oscar So White and all that entails. I think not, not all jokes hit. Not all jokes ever will hit. Mm-hmm. You can't hold that against him. But I think he was definitely the right man for the job. He came out guns blazing. I think that opening monologue was really good. Some of the other skits and, and montages I could have done without for the sake of keeping the show shorter. Mm-hmm. But overall, I was satisfied with what he did. Yeah, I gave him a B-plus on the night. He definitely killed it with the monologue. Uh, I thought maybe his best joke was about, uh, was it Rihanna, uh, where he said... Oh, the, the yeah. Jada Pinkett Smith boycotting the Oscars is fine and all, but it's like me boycotting Rihanna's panties. I simply wasn't invited. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, that, that I thought was maybe my favorite joke from him. Going out in the crowd and asking for money, I'm tired of that. Uh, two two years in a row, Ellen with the pizza, and then Chris Rock with the girls got yeah. The it went too long, and with the Flint benefit happening the same night, I know all that money you raised, and everyone's like, oh yeah, but these people, their water is brown. Right. You couldn't have actually done something that mattered a little more. Not it's nothing against the Girl Scouts or anything like that, but the Girl Scouts only get like. 10% of their sales, that actually goes to them. Exactly. So, what do you really do here, people? Actually, I think my favorite joke was, was actually, probably should be my favorite joke, but I think one of the best things he said when he was, you know, tackling the controversy was disc- uh, ascribing black actors not getting enough roles and thus not enough nominations as sorority racism. Yes. And that was really, like, really on the nose. He was really just going after said controversy. Jennifer Lawrence Someone you said you were tired of last week. Nowhere really to be found for the show. She skipped the carpet, so she didn't get asked any questions. Mm-hmm. And obviously she knew she had no chance of winning the award, so she was just kind of there. I didn't miss her at all. I, I I was... Just there looking pretty. She was probably the person I was rooting against the most. I just didn't want her to win. I, if she, she had, had no been, chance, though, so I didn't even think about it's, it. It's true. It's true. Um, also, I know how to pronounce Miss Ronan now. It's Searsha Ronan. It's I, Gaelic. Didn't know that. I apologize. <laughs> Should have known that. Two other errors. Inside Out is, in fact, a Pixar film. That's probably the worst thing we said last week. Yeah. In my defense, Pixar had no movies in 2014 and thus had two this year, Inside Out and The Good Dinosaur. That threw me off in my head. That's why I just assumed one of them couldn't be, and I knew Good Dinosaur was Pixar. Anyway, my bad. Also, I said Mad Max Fury Road was filmed in Australia. It was actually filmed in Namibia, which is in South Africa, in between Angola and South Africa, of course. The first three... Mad Max were filmed in Australia, and George Miller, the director, is Australian. So my head was in the right place, but also incorrect. And Mad Max cleaned up. I mean, other than getting some of the bigger awards, which it really had an outside shot at anyway, all the technicals, it it basically swept almost. Right, except for Best best Visual Effects, of course, Dex Mayna. But other than that, yeah, it swept. And by doing said sweep, Star Wars went home completely empty-handed. Which I'm not too surprised that I think we talked about last week how we felt Star Wars was had an outside shot at some of those one thing that I do want to touch on before we move on was the disrespect to our boy Inaritu yes being played off early I mean I I literally couldn't believe it I mean this is the first guy to to win back-to-back directing Oscars since 1950 1950 and they start playing him off in the middle of his speech. Oh yeah, this, the show's going too long. Maybe you should have thought about that when you had The Weeknd sing, and Sam Smith <laughs> sing, and do all those other montages. Leave a little more time for what people actually want to see, which is the thank you speeches and like the cool montages of like the special effects stuff. I, I totally agree. And having the Minions come out to present an award, which took entirely too long. I mean, it... Also, they did that at like 10 p.m. 
Do you want the kids to see the minions at the very beginning? But yet you have Sarah Silverman up there making dick jokes at, at you know at eight thirty. So it, it didn't really make a lot of sense. It's but, on the producers though, right? So, but good on Inaritu with the power move. Shout out to Ryan Chin, just talking right through the the music. It was unbelievable and maybe my favorite moment because he was just like, I'm, "This is my time. You can keep playing. I'm gonna keep talking until you're done." Just like his movie. And also shout out Daisy Ridley for rocking the same haircut that Ray has in Star Wars. She she's the best. nice nice touch. Any other Oscar uh, thoughts before we we move on? I liked Leonardo DiCaprio's speech. That was cool. Hey, I liked his climate change stuff mm-hmm. we talked about, and he really does uh, like advocate for that stuff on a consistent basis. So it's not like he was just grandstanding or anything. He really does mean that. Mm-hmm. So I was happy to see him sit on such a big stage. Ennio Morricone shouted out John Williams. Yep, and Leo shouted out Scorsese. That was cool. Yeah, other than that, I was... Oh, Michael Keaton with his uh, <laughs> F yeah yes. at the end for Spotlight winning Best Picture. Nice uh, job, by the way. Thank you. And Keaton ate a Girl Scout cookie on stage. That was cool. Yeah, Keaton... Uh, I wish he won Best Actor last year over Hollywood Golden Boy, Eddie Redmayne, but Keaton's in, in back-to-back Best Picture, so I don't think he minds that much. Right before Leonardo DiCaprio was uh, named the winner, I had like this brief moment of like anxiety. Oh my God. Yeah, I, I, Eddie I Redmayne is about to take this award from Leonardo DiCaprio and... Like, all the air is going to come out of this room. Michael Keaton, they showed him putting his speech away last year. He thought he won. It was heartbreaking. Heartbreak city, dude. But yeah, spotlight wins. That's awesome. That yeah, I think it was a it was a great win. That I mean, that was a, a great category this year. But it's Red, probably the best movie out of all the movies involved I, I, in terms, like the, like the dramas. I would agree with that. I think and I, I know we touched on last week, so there's no no point in going too deep into it. But I thought Spotlight again took a very big story and really brought it down to a, a very human level, which was you know it, it makes Hollywood feel like like they're more important than than they probably are, but. That's why the Oscars picked it, because they love to feel like they're way more important than they are when they're just entertainment in the long run. Oh, yeah, one more thing. I don't want to forget. Sure. Roger Deakins yes. is now over 13 in the Academy Award for Best Cinematography. Stays losing. Lubeski won for the third time, third year in a row, as we predicted. He was the favorite. But I, I did actually not realize Roger Deakins was over 13. He's been in some really good movies. Shawshank Redemption, Fargo, No Country for Old Men. Those movies are all shot very well. Yeah. And this year, of course, it was for Sicario. I'm sure he'll get his in due time. Yeah, I, I think so, too. He seems to have a knack for working on some great films, so it's only a matter of time. Me, maybe, like, uh, the 15th nomination he'll finally <laughs> get it. We'll see. Nubeski needs to take a year off. Absolutely. Going from... Really good movies to talking about a really, really bad movie. Gods of Egypt. Yeah. Tanked. I, I, would, I would say Oscar so white, but not it's not an Oscar movie. No, it will never even <laughs> sniff the Oscars. So Gods of Egypt, directed by Alex Proyas. Who cares? He I mean he was the director of iRobot, not a terrible movie. Who cares? <laughs> Fourteen million opening weekend versus a hundred forty million dollar budget. This is Worse than John Carter right now. Worse than The Lone Ranger. This is really bad, really bad bomb. But that's not even why I care that much. Tell me why. <laughs> the, the reason I think this one's so bad is because it's a movie about Egyptian gods. All right, it's fine for a kid's yeah. movie. That's cool. Exodus Gods and Kings by Ridley Scott in 20, 2014. Got some flack for being whitewashed. Mm-hmm. You had Ben Mendelsohn in there. You had Christian Bale as Moses. People gave that some criticism. So we had that in, in our mind. Gods of Egypt comes out, we have Gerard Butler, a Scotsman, and Nikolai Coster-Waldo, 
or for those of you who don't know, Jamie Lannister in Game of Thrones with his long blonde locks, a Dane from Denmark, mm-hmm. playing Egyptian gods. I'm sorry, that's terrible. You're not, back in the day, you actually used to try and be authentic, and now they, they didn't even bother. And they didn't even drop the accents, so that's bad. And if you watch the trailer for this, the previous on TV, the green screen work is so terrible. It's so badly integrated. This looks like it's from 2002. And if you can see that in the trailer, how do you put to sell this movie? When Oscar So White came out, and you know there was only there, there was no black actors nominated, and I think uh, Australia Compton Walk got one nomination, so Correct. it really was maybe the whitest Oscars ever, uh, at least in a number of years, and you you would think that that would cause some kind of change within the acting community. You would think that there would at least be more awareness, and right. this is just a tone deaf move. Especially in 2016, with everything that that's been going on, is more than anything laziness. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I assume they they filmed this before the Oscar nominations, right? Almost certainly. But either way, we still had last year's Oscars where there was Absolutely. no movement. But the inauthenticity just pisses me off. And when you combine that with incredibly shoddy CGI work in 2016, coupling that with you look at Mad Max and Star Wars, the reason people love those so much is because they do tons of practical effects to make the movie hold up over time. No one wants to see all green screen action like that anymore. It's just a terrible idea. No, and also, I mean, they obviously wanted to go with some well-known people to play mm-hmm. these parts because they wanted to have some kind of draw to come see Not it. bad leads. No, they're, they're not. But at the same time, I think it's been proven, especially in today's movie climate, you don't need to have these big names all the time to have a good movie. And right. the quality of the product is what's most important in this. And having these big leads ended up biting them in the ass in this respect because right. now they have all this backlash. And the, the reviews say that the story is so cookie cutter that this didn't even have to be a story about Egyptian gods per se. You wouldn't no. even have to have that narrative at all. It could have just been uh, you know, a, a revenge tale, power struggle, yada right. yada, and there wouldn't be anything racial about it. Yeah, it could have just been like War of the Gods or something and taken the Egyptian part out right. of it. But And it, I guess the bigger picture for this movie, it's really bad for Lionsgate because they're done with Hunger Games now. And Divergence last movie comes out next year. And The Last Witch Hunter bomb for them. Mordecai bomb for them. John Wick and Now You See Me. Getting sequels, good movies, but they're not juggernauts. Their stock has dropped half its price since November when Hunger Games was the lowest grossing movie of the franchise. So bad news for Lionsgate. They tried to make a new IP and obviously it failed terribly. Yeah, so it looks like Lionsgate might be in some real trouble, but why don't we move on to another casting decision that maybe was a little bit questionable. Iron Fist, coming out on Netflix. Recently, Finn Jones, yes. well, known as Loras Tyrell in Game of Thrones. Yes. Castmate of Nikolai Costa-Waldo from Gods of Egypt, of course. <laughs> Transition, wink. <laughs> he was cast the other day as the Iron Fist. So the Iron Fist, obviously a superhero from Marvel, and his superpower is what? He can focus his chi, and that, that summons the, the power of the Iron Fist, correct? Right, yeah, he's kind of like a like martial arts brawler kind of guy. Right. Powers. Marjorie Liu, writer for Marvel, criticized the, the role uh, being cast to... Uh, Finn Jones saying that because there is some Asian descent in the character that it should have been cast as an Asian actor and I was I was wondering where you stood on that Dave it's really interesting because I can see where both sides come together on this but just for just for the context so Iron Fist is the fourth Marvel Netflix show under the Defenders umbrella so we have Daredevil Mm -hmm. which season two comes out this month we just had Jessica Jones come out last year with Kristen Ritter from Breaking Bad 
later this year we'll have Luke Cage starring Mike Coulter, right. who also is had, Jessica a, Jones. had a role in Jessica Jones. And those four, they'll assumingly come together under the Defenders at some point. And Jessica Jones and Daredevil season one's uh, both been really good. They're very good quality. It's more gritty. It's more grounded. People really love it. Right. The Iron Fist, the character in the comics, is a white guy. And he goes to Asia, and that's where the story takes place, and that's where he gets his powers, and really mm. everything happens. It's, I guess the easiest way to explain it is it's kind of like Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai. Right. A guy not in the culture, becoming joining the culture. Now, hardcore comic nerds will tell you that, well, it's the canon. We have 40 years of Iron Fist comics. He's a white guy. He should stay a white guy. And that's why people don't take comic nerds seriously, because they're so close-minded with stuff like that. That doesn't matter. Now, if this was Storm from X-Men, her African descent is important. Magneto and X-Men, his status as a Holocaust survivor, that is important. Right. That's stuff you have to keep keep consistent to have the character have the same world. Iron Fist being an Asian guy, being a white guy, does not matter. And in fact, an Asian guy reconnecting to his culture might even go over better. People really care about the characters. They don't really care about the continuity, per se. And Marvel Netflix has shown that they're good at delivering good products. So for sake of representation, maybe we could have gone with an Asian actor. I think it would have been a nice idea. Fortunately, they didn't. I think Finn Jones probably is a good choice. I like him on Game of Thrones. Yeah, he's been he's, in 20 episodes. He's good. And the thing is, Marvel has shown time and time again that they don't mind flipping the script on stuff. Samuel Jackson plays Nick Fury, who is right. normally a white guy. Idris Elba played Heimdall and Thor, mm-hmm. normally a white guy as well. They've gender-swapped characters before. I guess they decided they didn't want to go this route. It's not the worst thing in the world, but at the same time, Asians are uh, underrepresented, and I guess this was a good opportunity that they didn't go with. Absolutely. I mean, I, I guess when you were talking, I was trying to think, when was like the last time I saw an Asian superhero? And I guess I had to go back to the show Heroes right. to really think of one. That was really the last time I can remember seeing an Asian superhero on TV. So, I, it, like you said, it doesn't matter whether he's white or Asian, so I think it might have been a nice thing to do but exactly. in the end it's it's not going to make a big difference to the story and that that and that and the characters are really what drives this and right. there, there's a lot of crossover like, uh, Luke Cage Iron Fist had a uh, heroes for hire kind of uh, thing so you can probably see a lot of crossover between the, the shows which would be fun to watch and mm-hmm. it's an exciting direction to go in and for what it's worth Electra's making her appearance in Daredevil season 2 played by Alodi Young who's also in Gods of Egypt Wink hmm. She's Cambodian. She's Asian. So nice. someone at least. I mean, you can also point to Fox's terrible Fantastic Four movie from last summer. It will likely be Jordan as a black right. human torch. Doesn't matter at all. Be Doesn't a little more diverse. It helps. It's good for everything. I, I think, you know, kind of sticking with things that have some origins in Asia, why don't we move on to <laughs> what, something that you're very passionate about, Dave? Pokemon. <laughs> I would say I'm really passionate. Pokemon 20. Pokemon 20. 20th anniversary of... Pokemon Red and Green in Japan. I woke up to hashtag gotta catch them all trending, and I was like, this is awesome. And I tweeted about it, and the Pokemon official Pokemon account, about 24 hours later, sent me a gif of what Pokemon I caught, and I got Dragonite. That's awesome. Dragonite's a big dragon dude, really powerful for those of you who don't know, from the Mm -hmm. original uh, 150. So I thought that was really cool. Did not expect them to, whoever's on their social media team has been working around the clocks, took them a really long time to get to me. Yeah. Yeah, Pat, what's your first experience with Pokemon 20 years later? Man, it's kind of crazy Pokemon's been around for 20 years. I mean, I remember... In fairness, for us Americans, it's 18 years. Right. But, yeah, sorry. 
18 sounds a little bit, you know, or I would say it was probably like 7 when I got yeah. my first Game Boy Color. And when I got Game Boy yeah. Color, I got... It's 1998 for Pokemon us, yeah. Red. So, yeah, that would make that would put me at 7 years old. I guess my... When you're talking about Dragonite, it actually brought up a great memory for me when the Pokemon movie came out. Right. And Dragonite had a pretty essential role it's in the awesome. Pokemon movie. <laughs> and I, I went there the... I went the night it opened, and when you were waiting in line, they gave you a special, like, collector's card that got a holographic Dragonite card. Oh, that was, I do... I remember those days. When yes. they used, yeah, wow. So that was... That was a, a pretty awesome memory. I think I still have that card somewhere in my house. I have all the all my Pokemon cards cool. still, actually. When I, when I think about Pokemon, I think, what is, my, what is my favorite Pokemon? Right, of course. The same way that the person we're going to be talking about spits flames, Charizard. <laughs> Charizard is definitely... My favorite Pokemon, but I mean, who who doesn't like Charizard? I mean, he's as long as you don't say Pikachu. He he's the, the chocolate of Pokemon. Everybody likes him. No right. one hates Charizard. Yeah, Pikachu's really a terrible point. choice. Yeah, who so. who would be your favorite Pokemon? Yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to pick a starter, and I feel bad for Bulbasaur. No one really likes Bulbasaur, <laughs> but if I'm not picking a starter, and obviously Pikachu can get lost. I don't want to pick Dragonite. It's too powerful. Mewtwo's too easy. Mm-hmm. I'll go with, like, Hitmonchan or something like that. Machamp. He's got four arms. Jacked as hell. Yeah, that guy's a boss. Uh, Electrobuzz was someone that came to mind for some reason. <laughs> Just someone I thought always thought was a cool character. The but. last thing about Pokemon. Back in the day when, you know, the late 90s when Pokemon was just coming to the States mm-hmm. and, you know, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Pocket days, that was back pre-Wikis, you know, pre-internet searching everything. Someone would tell you something about how you could do something in that game and it was like all word of mouth. You never really could verify it unless your one friend down the block had the strategy guide. Sometimes I miss those kind of days where it was all about who you knew and how people explained yep. things to you because... I mean, nowadays we have everything at our fingertips. Oh, it's great. But, like, back then you had to trade with link cables. Yeah. Oh, so, my God. The link different different times. It, it was a different time. That, I think that was enough for Pokemon talk. I'm, <laughs> I'm itching to get into the life of Pablo. Right. So, the life of Pablo uh, premiered on 211 at Madison Square Garden for Yeezy Season 3. It's Kanye West's new album, In Case You Live Under a Rock. Right. I, I probably should have led, led with that, but I guess I assume everybody has the same interests as me, so. Stupid American. It, yes, exactly. MSG 211, the real release 213 after, well I guess it would actually be 214 because Saturday Night Live, his second performance was after midnight, so technically Ooh, good catch. the 14th is when it was released. Right. So Dave, why don't we go about this track by track? Yeah, go ahead. So, Ultra Light Beam. One of the best songs on the album. For Fire sure. emojis everywhere. For sure. My boy Chance the Rapper really holds it down at the end. Oh Great God. verse. And when you first hear this song, this is the first song on the album, it's a good intro track. It's not really much of an intro track, though. It just happens to be the first song. Mm-hmm. That gospel feel that he he was teasing leading up to this, it's like it's right there. It's in your face. Yeah. And that doesn't really continue for the album, per se. But I remember when I, when I was playing this for my brother, my brother was like, is the whole album like that? I was like, no, no, it's not. No. And for, for the better, of course. But this, this is a really strong song by Kanye, by everyone involved vocally. And Chance, I really, the thing I really liked about Chance's verse, I made Sunday candy, I'm never going to hell, I met Kanye West, I'm never going to fail. And that's just like Kanye's line from Otis on Watch the Throne, mm-hmm. I made Jesus walks, so I'm never going to hell. I thought that was really cool. Because yeah. they're both Chicago artists, of course, Chance is a huge Kanye fan, and it's really awesome that they collaborate, and they've been friends for the past year or two. Hearing Chance on this on this track kind of brought me back to Jay Ivy on Never Let Me Down from College Dropout. Just the same way that... The spoken um, word kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. It was almost a little, like a poem. 
in a mm-hmm. way. And it was uh, it was so refreshing because the whole song is like singing and it's very gospel and all mm-hmm. of a sudden here comes Chance with it's, like... It's this... an easily lyrics. Yeah, but the thing is he comes in so soft mm-hmm. and then he brings it so hard like that part where he's like, just throw this at the end if I'm too late for the intro. Yeah. My, my daughter looked like C, you just can't see it. Yes, I mean, he and the, when he hits that, oh, that first, uh, it's just like, ooh. I'm just I, having fun with it. Yeah, yeah I, I'm really in good. it now. I am in it now. And actually, that it's funny because that, just throw us at the end of I'm too late for the intro is actually a callback to late registration, the song late. It's actually a lyric from it. And I think that there's a lot of late registration on this album. Interesting. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll hear more about that. But just another quick shout out. Chance and Kanye uh, uh, using Kirk Franklin on, in this song. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a Grammy winning gospel artist. And he he basically has a prayer at the end, almost like, like a, a part of a sermon in a right. way. But Chance has worked with him before. So I, I think that this shows part of Chance's influence on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chance has a lot of credits on this album. I think it's like four or five, right? Uh, I believe so. Mainly mainly writing. He's not a producer. He And he also uh, basically said that he put together the assembly for Waves, which was why he fought so hard to have it on the album. Oh, okay. But right. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll definitely get to Waves. But Ultra Light Beams, Fire Emojis Everywhere... Yeah, it's, it's one of the best songs on the album. Starts off strong. And then it leads right into Father Stretch My Hands Part 1. This was produced by Kanye, Mike Dean, and, and Rick Rubin. One of the f- There's only a couple songs that Rick Rubin is credited on as uh, producing, but uh, I think the main takeaway is that drop is yeah. unbelievable. It's at, like, what, the 105 mark or something like that? Yeah. That drop, it makes you want to, like, jump out of your seat. This, might, this is probably my second favorite song on the album. When I was watching uh, Yeezy Season 3, and he's playing this song, and Kid Cudi's there behind him with a coon skin cap on, and they're just going nuts <laughs> dancing together. And then later at the end, when he's like shouting out people, and he's like thinking, he's, thinking, he's like, he like his eyes perk up Kanye's, and he's like, Cudi. Just so happy because Cudi left good music like two, three years ago, mm-hmm. and he was kind of unhappy with the way his vocals were used on Creepers and Cruel Summer, which right. wasn't supposed to happen. And I was afraid there was bad blood, but it's really awesome. They were just, they're just still bros. His vocals are awesome in this. I really like like that. And then the fact that you have Futures, one of his most popular ad-libs right now. If, if you're on Metro, Metro, don't trust you, I'm going to shoot you. And then Kai just comes uh, in, cuts him off. It's, oh, it's really good. So awesome. <laughs> uh, it, it's actually really funny about the Cuddy thing. It reminded me of one of Kanye's now famous Twitter rants about, you know, towards Wiz Khalifa. And he was talking about, <laughs> I am your OG, and he basically shouted out Cuddy saying, you are somebody with Khalifa because Cuddy and I made it so that you could be. Which was, <laughs> I thought, a pretty cool way to shout out Cuddy and give him some some credit into how he's influenced the game. And it's funny, too, because Cuddy, his last album, Speed Blood Out of Heaven, is hot garbage. It's like a rock album. Mm-hmm. That's This is not good. Not good at all. So I'm, Cuddy solo, I, I have legitimate concerns about. But I'm just happy Kanye got him the good uh, contribution. Kind of going into like like the context of the song. So one of the like the lines I think that stands out most, Kanye says, "I want to feel liberated." I think that that's kind of a theme that comes out throughout the album. In uh, FML, he also mentions wanting to live without limits. It's almost like he's pleading for something, and I think that that that's something that comes throughout. Is he had there's this like internal struggle throughout the album of wanting something, looking for something more, trying to understand something, and even the title of these two songs, Father Stretch My Hands, it's not like he's saying, 
you know, I'm stretching my hands to you. He's saying, do this for me. Someone right. or help me with this. So just some interesting thoughts around that. Yeah, it's really interesting that he's like kind of like seeking validation because I can understand that from like what he's doing with fashion. But in hip hop, he's kind of run out of things to prove at this point. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would say, we'll get to this at the end, but I would say Kanye's the greatest album rapper in mm-hmm. rap, bar none, not even close. Yep. So, I mean, he's really at, running out of things to do. He's 38 years old. I mean, detractors for this album are going to point to how disjointed the songs are structured and this song is a good example because he only has one verse in it right and then he just kind of jumps into track number three part two mm-hmm. and that's a really seamless jump i really like how that transitions and i guess if you look at them as two songs it's better right but that's kind of where it starts to see like incomplete visibly incomplete right and i think this kind of leads into part two very well is that in Father Stretched My Hands, part one. He's talking about wanting to feel liberated. He's talking about this idea that he has this success in a way, and but he's still looking for this validation. And then Father Stretched My Hands, part two, it's almost like he's yearning for something different than what he has. Right. He, and he kind of emphasizes that by using basically the panda by designer, the like major parts of the song. I mean, it's almost the whole thing. Yeah, he's basically sampling designer. Yeah. He's listed as a feature, but... It's, it's just a sample. It's just literally yeah. the panda, song Panda. And the whole song is about being this rapper who has, can buy all these cars and li- live this crazy single rapper lifestyle. Braggadocious Kanye. Yeah, and, and there is Kanye as this married, kind of becoming an old guy in Dad. the game. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's a it's a stark contrast, and it's like it's this major tone change too, because it goes from feeling like this very light, airy, to kind of being like this almost brutal type of beat. Right. I, the funny thing about Designer is when I first heard this song, when I looked into, I listened to the, the original pan, song Panda. Panda's probably my favorite Future song, mm-hmm. and it's not even by Future. Designer openly embraces how Future raps, and he's even rapping about having broads in Atlanta, yeah. just like Future, despite the fact that he's from Brooklyn. Yeah, it's actually funny, because I think Designer is probably the biggest Future, I don't know if Wannabe is, is a fair way to say it, but that's the way I'm, go- I'm going to. Mumble rap, it's that. But he there's also Post Malone, who's featured at the end of this album, and right. he's all, almost in the same kind of vein, so yeah. it's it's interesting. The, the Designer's the newest signee to good music. I think that, that that's very interesting. Maybe it's also a way to kind of pump him up a little bit. So why don't we move on to maybe my favorite track yeah. on the album, Famous. I mean, these first four songs, I think, are really awesome to listen to back to back. Unbelievable. Back. And honestly, what I constantly find myself doing is just focusing on these ones in the beginning, just because I think they're the easiest to listen to on their own right but yeah famous famous is banger Mm -hmm. nothing else to say it's awesome yeah i mean i think i just really want to shout out the the production in this song Mm -hmm. i mean the production on the whole album is amazing but this song especially when sister nancy's bam bam comes in over rihanna and rihanna does really well on it i think i I think literally every time i hear it i like like i put my hands in the air whether i'm driving (laughs) whether i'm like in bed i I need to put my hands in the air and just rock with it because it literally is, it makes me feel like unstoppable. These are probably Kanye's best bars on the whole album. Really, uh, really vicious. And his his mm-hmm. Taylor Swift line is savage in Absolutely. the best possible way. It's hilarious. It is, but at the it's, same time. It's not, it has no merit, but I think right. it's funny. Right, yeah. He, you made someone famous when you're getting on stage to disrupt them from getting an award for being famous. It's, <laughs> it's a very interesting choice by Kanye, but. Apparently, the original lyric was, I feel like. Taylor still owes me sex. Wow. Yeah, that, and he changed it. It would have been interesting if he left it that way, what the uh, what the backlash would have been. Yeah, you can, I mean, that can be a little... That probably would have been worse. Definitely worse. 
So, uh, I think, like you said, there's not much to say about Famous. I mean... It's that good. Exactly. So, why don't we move on to Feedback? This song is, this song is cool. He's got some good lines in this one. It's a very airy type song. And mm-hmm. I, I wanted to really look up who he sampled on this because I, I had no idea who it was. So, her name is Gugush, and the song is called Talak. And so, she's a, an Iranian singer from, like, the 50s. And she was a singer and actress. 50s, which she's born in the 50s, but she acted in the 60s and the 70s, and maybe even a little bit into the 80s. And the song, it, he really gives it like this house, like club feel, yep. in a way, mm-hmm. which is definitely uh, I really like. One of the most interesting tidbits of the song, he actually used at the end a tweet from Jaden Smith as a lyric. So he says, "Fashion show in Gotham, I need a another costume," and that's literally a Jaden Smith tweet. See, that doesn't even sound like a Jaden Smith tweet to me because he's tweeted so much nonsensical stuff since mumbo then. jumbo yeah so i mean yeah if you tell him sure but yeah that, that, that sounds fine <laughs> as far as jane smith's concerned absolutely and i think this is also one of the first times he really points to this idea of being crazy oh he, right with he the, says yeah name one genius that ain't right. crazy i feel like that's not an excuse you can use though no absolutely not but i think for him like kind of going with this idea of the album either have these really high highs or these really low lows i mean he talks about being off his lexapro maybe kanye is going through some kind of or trying to portray some kind of bipolar type album concept yeah it's it's a broad idea but Mm -hmm. i think one of the major things you need to do with an album is you need to try to make sense of what the overall message is so any kind of stab at it with this one is important right so low lights yeah this is it sounds pretty short, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's basically just it's like a sermon. It's barely in it. Well, he's actually not in it. It's um, oh yeah, right, right. This this is essentially an interlude. Yeah, it's basically a woman just talking about some in, like, testimony unbearable about my life, pain and yeah. how God can make things seem better. But then it leads into maybe one of the most fun songs on the album. Yeah, highlights. highlights. Yep. So he performed yep. this on SNL. Right. Which and, it's funny because lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, the, the the Ray J lyrics, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I, this 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 song very poignantly points to how incomplete and last minute the album is because he raps about Black China's relationship with Rob Kardashian, which had only been reported ten days before Yeezy season three. Right. He really was working on he, this. Like he said, he had has so much material. He's thrown out figures here and there and tweets, and he's maybe contradicted himself a little bit. But either way, I would like to see what other stuff wasn't good enough to make the cut because clearly there's a lot of it. And I think we probably will see because he he said that there's another album coming in the summer. I'm not sure how much I believe that, especially because it seems like a full video game concept album, which is an interesting yeah, choice. Turbo Graphs 16, which is the weirdest. I, it's just, it's so funny that that's the video game console he has a ki- had a kid because that thing only sold like 10 million consoles worldwide. I mean, he, you're more likely to have had like a, a Sega Genesis or a right. SNES back then. Yeah. The fact that he had a, a Japanese console not made from Nintendo is just very strange to me. Yeah, it's also interesting because I'm pretty sure when I looked it up, that console was like extremely expensive when it first came out. Mm. So maybe maybe Kanye got it later. It, it, I think it kind of points to this idea that Kanye, you know, he portrays himself as like this kind of almost thug in a way at times, yeah. but he really grew up in like a pretty affluent <laughs> part of like Southside like, Chicago. It was still like the bootleg console, though. Yeah, like, absolutely. So that's uh, just interesting. So moving on from highlights. Freestyle 4. I think this is probably one of the most Yeezus songs oh, definitely. on the album. I actually was thinking just today, actually, that this could be a leftover mm-hmm. from Yeezus yeah. sessions. It, it absolutely could be. Because it sounds like nothing else on the album, so mm-hmm. it wouldn't make sense that he randomly recorded this unless 
there's a lot of other songs like this that we didn't hear. Right. I think I think it's very could very easily be a Jesus song. And it features designer again. You know, he he gets a lot of love on this album. It, this also brings back a lot of the comedy of Kanye. You know, mm-hmm. at the end talking about I need every bad bitch up in Equinox. Yeah. I need to know if you're a freak or not. Shout out Bob Saget. Maybe his favorite line on the whole album. Yeah. <laughs> but it, like it really. This whole song is it's basically Kanye like imagining this orgy at a party like am I, or am I thinking about this wrong? Is this, it's very Kanye, yeah. It, I yeah. mean, it's he's it, never shied away from being vulgar about sex, right? And, and I, the fact that he's married someone who got famous from an adult film, he's rapped about that right more than once. So it, on this album, yeah, <laughs> he, he references it twice. I mean, yeah. it's kind of crazy. So, but it's also interesting because I think one of the backlashes he has gotten is that his misogyny becoming less accepted at this point and he's getting right. some yeah and that's a thing too is his misogyny just from his lyrics we don't have any we can't really point at anything where he cheated on his wife or anything like that or even anything like domestically before he was you know married to her like he's sent some barbs towards amber rose his ex-wife but as far as i know he defends it as a just rap and I'll defend him because he doesn't rap about raping people like Eminem mm-hmm. still does in his 40s. So I don't have a big deal with it. I'm not laughing at the rape. I'm laughing at the fact that Eminem is still rapping about that at 40 years old. At sober. He's sober too. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Freestyle 4, I think, transitions kind of nicely to 9. Track 9, I Love Kanye, which mm-hmm. is a certified skit, of course. And I think that's like a really awesome, self-aware little yes. skit because it's so so relevant to people's opinion of Kanye nowadays. Like, oh, I love the old Kanye. Someone who doesn't really have an opinion on Kanye, the first thing you hear out of their mouths is, oh, well... I think College Dropout was his best album. I like the old Kanye. Right. And it's like, oh, thanks. Thanks for your worthless take that I've heard a thousand <laughs> times. Just pretend that you didn't say anything, please. Uh, yeah, and I think maybe the thing that I liked most about this was when he talks about now there's so many Kanye's. Right. And kind of just talking about how... It's how he, influential he yeah, was and has been. Exactly. He, he literally, every album he dropped... Uh, basically up until probably this one, it's changed the sound of some way in rap. Yeah. Pretty significant. No, you can't even deny that. This leads into maybe a, a song I feel confused about, in a way, with Waves. Waves, yeah. So Chance fought really hard for this Yeah, thing. it was he, super he hyped up the song. Yeah. Super hyped Blame up Chance, blame Chance, and then thank Chance, thank Chance, once it got on there. It's mm-hmm. featuring Chris Brown, doing Chris Brown singing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. This song is okay. I'm, I, maybe I just thought it was going to be something else, but I don't like that song's okay. Yeah, and I, I think I can understand why Kanye would want to take it off. I think kind of like not have it on the album. It makes a lot. It makes a lot of sense to if you take it out that it kind of keeps this dark theme from you know highlights to freestyle four yeah. to FML. But waves is and also, real friends. Yeah. yeah, and real friends. But waves is also like this almost graduation type sound this like anthem kind of i think one of the first reviews i said is it'll be the song you're singing in an uber ride home with your friends and i was like i don't know about that but it does have a feel that's i I can see that but i don't know about that yeah right i appreciate how much went into making this song you can really see how Mm multi-layered it is and hence why it took a day and a half to fully master and finish it but at the end of the day it's only so good yeah, it's like, it's like I guess maybe the idea is better than the final product, and it really is Chris Brown's song. I mean, Kanye raps two verses on it, but he's done within the first minute, and then Chris Brown is basically singing and bringing out this wavy sound throughout the whole thing. What, I think the message of the song is interesting, but what if we had Frank Ocean singing instead of Chris Brown? 
interesting. You can you can go either way with that. I, I think I would have enjoyed that more, but I yeah, think sure. that, I think that that's because I think Frank Ocean's a much more interesting artist right. than Chris Brown. Chris, we see Chris Brown's on something all the time. That's not as intriguing. True. I also think that Chris Brown, he all, his sound always brings a certain feel, whereas mm-hmm. Frank Ocean on Channel Orange, he brings a multitude of different feels. Yeah, a moody Frank Ocean would actually keep the theme a lot better. Yeah, I I, I very much agree with that. But and I think we'll get to talk about Frank in, in a minute. Yeah. So why don't we move on to FML? Yeah, with the weekend. I like. I think this song it gets better as it goes. Yes. I think actually I really like once the weekend actually comes in. Mm-hmm. I think he's better than Kanye on this. I, I agree, and this this is another song about you know Kanye. This is basically Kanye saying I, I've been thinking about cheating on my wife, but I'm choosing not to. It's interesting that he he's, puts he like doesn't right, want to f his life up, which is what would happen if he did that. Exactly, he puts it almost right in the middle of the album. You know, and it's right after Waves, which is a really upbeat song about right. overcoming all this, and and then he goes right into this low of again of being like oh well i've had these thoughts and i'm like really struggling to stay monogamous to you it's really interesting but i agree i think the weekend really does pick this song up otherwise yeah. it, i think it'd be pretty forgettable right but then i think that leads to a very not forgettable song by kanye real absolutely friends. yeah real friends featuring ty dollar sign is ty dollar sign excellent yeah sh- shout out ty dollar sign by the way his past year or so a lot of people myself included have got a lot more respect for him as an artist he's actually pretty good at what he does and currently you could say he's the best artist on Taylor Gang he's better at his job than Wiz is right now Wiz Khalifa yeah I think Ty Dolla Sign you know is a, is a good artist I'm, I haven't listened to a ton of his stuff but everything I've heard I've enjoyed his debut album Free TC came out last fall and there's some really good stuff on there one of the interesting things about Real Friends is it samples Houdini Houdini song Friends mm-hmm. which has also been sampled by Dr. Dre Tupac, Nas. It's a song that's been used a lot, but I think Kanye uses it in a really interesting way here. It's probably one of the better sad Kanye songs. He's yeah, like, Sean Fennessy. Yes. Formerly of Grantland had an excellent tweet about Real Friends being in the Kanye Emo Hall of Fame. Right. Alongside various other excellent songs of the same sentiment. And I 100% agree. This song's great. I'm okay. really happy he made the album because this was released a few weeks before. Someone pitched the idea, that, and I'm not sure if this is true or not, but that album was supposed to stop after Wolves and then everything after that's like the bonus track, in, right. bonus tracks in a way. Because initially, his first like final track list toward we're getting to that time right. was Ended with 10 Wolves, tracks right. from Wolves as the last yeah. one. Yeah. I'm glad Re- Real Friends got the knocks. I think it's a great, great song. And just real quick, what is your favorite emo Kanye song? Oh, I don't know. That's really tough. I think I go with Family Business. But Business. What else? What else do you like? Uh, I guess I think about Roses off late registration, but I don't think that that's an all time great song. I saw Blame Game listed. I don't like that one either. I don't know much. if I don't know if Runaway would count, but Runaway that's a good one is a really really good emo Kanye song. Um, Real friends, something on Eight Oh Eights probably. Yeah, uh, Welcome to Heartbreak. Welcome probably. to Heartbreak. That's yeah. a really good one. Kanye. Amazing song. So yeah, Real Friends then leads into a song we were just talking about, Wolves. Yeah, Kanye. He found Frank. He did. Welcome back, Frank. Found him in some cave. <laughs> yeah. Singing this song. He's a hermit. I'm going to throw this at the end of Wolves. So I think one of the most interesting things for me on this was Kanye played this at SNL 40 last year. That was a while with, ago. With Sia and Vic Mensa. Correct. And 
I think everybody was like, wow, this is this sounds pretty cool. I'm interested to hear it. Where's the CD quality version? It's all everyone could say. They wanted this song. Right. And then when he drops it on the 11th at MSG, Sia and Vic Mets are nowhere to be found. And funny enough, Vic was on the stage with Kanye, too. Right. <laughs> so Vic is out, and Frank Ocean, who no one has seen or heard from pretty much, is in. This is all. This song, it's all, for me, it's all about what could have been. Just like, I wonder how many versions, how many, what ideas had for the songs. This song really intrigues me. I really like parts of the current version. I really like mm-hmm. parts of the SNL version. I think if I could have the perfect version, I would like Sia still involved. Yes. I'm, I'm, I, I like agree. Vic Mensa a lot, but I don't mind if he's off this. Mm-hmm. But the current version, there's more Kanye on it. Yeah. And I think Kanye does a really good job. I really like the song's really cool. But the way Frank comes in, it's just it's really like, this song seems like it ends. Except it doesn't end. Frank starts singing. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's a. I think Frank's part is interesting. It's almost feels hopeless at the by by the time he comes in, and not hopeless in the way like his verse is hopeless, but hopeless in the fact the song ends. There's very it's a very light piano playing. It's almost like, I think he says "sun without heat" or "light without heat" is his lyric in there. That there's light without heat, and that's how it feels. That, right. You know, you we found Frank, but it's this sad brooding, uh, melancholy tune. Just one interesting note on this before we move on. In the background, that ooh, and I know yeah. that's, we should definitely cut that and use that as a drop in the future, that part. Set up by Caroline Shaw, who was a Pulitzer Prize winning composer in 2013 yeah. for a vocal arrangement called Partista for Eight Voices. It's a really interesting listen. I mean, I I don't think it's something like easy listening. You have to really be want to hear it. But I think it's just cool that Kanye keeps reaching to all these different artists and entertainers in a way to produce great music yeah Kanye has proven through his whole career that he really has a good ear for collaboration Mm -hmm. in whether that's picking people that are relevant at the time and then just finding new people he's always been good at that and obviously his production everyone talks about how he's a great producer and he also has a good eye for picking other people's beats but collaborator I think he's almost underrated because he time and time again gets people involved in Caroline Shaw, low-profile people that he finds. And his obviously, he, he pioneered sampling in the 2000s, too. So, I mean, once again, another thing you just point to, his influence. Right. And I, just another interesting part of, the, of this before we move on, this was actually originally supposed to be on an album with Drake and Kanye, and wow. that fell through, and Kanye decided to use it on this. So, w- again, what could have been? Silver Surfer Intermission, Max B., yeah, oh my god. So, once again, you see how last minute some of this is. He literally got a call. He was able to call Max B and re- record it for an interlude as a way of validating his initial desire to name the album Waves. And by having the founder of the Coke Boys, who's now incarcerated, Max B, validate him, his beef with Wiz is okay. It's just it's just a waste of time. It is a waste of time. And but Max B's really irrelevant now. Free Max B's a thing, but I couldn't care less. Isn't isn't Matt Max B the bass guy? Correct. No, that's Little B. Oh, Little B. Little B's not in jail. Little B's lost. Awesome. He's cursed Kevin Durant. I was gonna say he's cursing everybody. I had the I had them confused. No, Max B founded Coke Boys. He's basically responsible for like French Montana. Gotcha. And he basically just calls Kanye Wavy, and that's about it. So yeah. well, we'll move on to Thirty Hours. Yeah, 30 Hours. Uh, this was the last song he released before he released the whole thing. It was like, what, the, the day of or the day before? Easy season three? It was, it was on Friday, so it was the day before yeah. the SNL. I mean, Under 3000 is on this track. 
Or is he? I mean, as he allegedly. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I, I hear him faintly singing 30 Hours at the end. But that was probably the most disappointing part to me. I remember driving and just waiting for Three Stacks to come in right. and go nuts. And then the song ended. Where is Andre 3000? He said he's been in the studio every day. You're telling me, dude. I, I believe it when I see it. All I remember is your very uninspired live performances two summers ago for Outcast 20. Mm-hmm. And... You're going to tell me you've been working this whole time? I just don't think you, you care about the grind anymore. That's fine. But I would rather us have to find out he's in the song right. on our own than get told and then not hear him. Right. And it's interesting that he got credited on this song, but Frank Ocean wasn't in the official credits for, for right. it. And no one's clearly actually, had a, a singing line. Right. And no one's actually listed as a feature. They're only listed as writing credits. Right. Very interesting. Weird. Just, I think this is also one of the more quotable, at least first verses. Right. This is another song that's missing a verse. Yes. The most surprising thing when I was doing a little bit of research into it is that Nelly was credited on this. I was trying to figure out, like, where did he sample him? Where was, like, the interpolation? And it's just that he says, Andale, Andale, E-I, E-I, and then he says, it's getting <laughs> hot in here. And so he literally mentions, the, you know, two Nelly songs, but he gets a credit for that. It was a little... Wild in my book, but I don't know. I thought that was just a fun fact. Track 16, though, better song. And 30 Hours, I think, is still a good song. But No More Parties in LA, Mm -hmm. which should be listed as featuring Kendrick Lamar, of course. Absolutely. Really good song. Like Real Friends was released a few weeks beforehand. And this is a song which I feel like it's kind of more unique than the rest of the album. It doesn't really sound like anything else. But I'm kind of happy it's there just so more people hear it because it's a really good song. This song is almost like. Kanye trying to win you over with rap. It actually kind of reminded me of Gorgeous in a way. Just the way that he kept going so hard with it on every verse, and it seemed like it just went on forever. Right. But I think maybe my favorite part of the song is Kendrick, and the way that Kendrick comes in over yeah. Kanye mm-hmm. is just, it really makes you like really well. amped up and. Yeah, no, it's it's a definitely a cool beat. This is another great, well well done produced song because he he pulls in four different samples to make one awesome sounding song also using the swish from nba jam at the end is yeah (laughs) yeah i I think this song along with real friends and then famous and ultra light beam are probably the four songs that will stick with people the longest on Mm -hmm. this album whether you're whether you're a fan or a detractor Mm -hmm. and then to a lesser extent part one and part two depending on if you like those but those four and no more parties towards the top is uh just a really good kind of song Absolutely. Then it goes into a Kanye song I'm not so sure about. Fax, Charlie Heat version, Charlie Heat the producer. Right. So Fax, another song that was released ahead of time on Kanye's SoundCloud, and it's basically a Jumpman freestyle, Jumpman by Drake and Future. Mm -hmm. And the original version I thought was hot garbage because the raps are bad. But this version I like a lot more because the beat does, does it for me this time. It doesn't sound like a freestyle as much. It's it's a much better song. Yeah. My favorite part is the Street Fighter. Perfect <laughs> in the beginning, probably. Perfect. But it is it's it's a fun song. It's one you can jump around to. Right. But turn up. I don't know if it's one of my favorite songs on no. this album. That's a song where you kinda wish it wasn't an album song. Right. Stick it to SoundCloud, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. He actually has a callback in this song to a line from Real Friends. Uh, he talks about yes. a cousin stealing his laptop, and then he talks about a co- how he forgave that cousin for stealing the lab- a laptop. Well, didn't Fax was the first song, so isn't Real Friends the callback? Uh, I guess that's the order, the order how it went. 
Well, Either way, I, he talks about the same the same person. You're right. In, in terms of being released, I guess right. I was thinking about it from the album perspective, his real friends right. was earlier. But yeah, I guess it, so. In terms of release, it would be a callback on real friends. Right. Hmm. Interesting. I it's agree. cool. This song can still perform. People yeah. get hyped as hell to see this. Absolutely. I, I can't wait to see it. Go but like people point. point to this as like, oh, well, the lyrics on the life of Pablo aren't that good. Yeah. Are the lyrics simple in terms of like your his rhyme structures? Sure they are. But this is more about the subject matter and the context in this album. So I just think just blaming the lyrics for being bad, you know, whatever. I think one of the things, like you talked about Kanye being a, co- a great collaborator at this point, right. I think he's almost like Chris Paul or any other great point guard. He's trying to set up his friends. He, he, he already knows what he's accomplished. I don't think he feels like he has... I mean, I might be wrong on this because he also feels like he does have a lot to prove, but he knows he doesn't. Like in he, rap. Yeah. yeah, he knows that in rap he doesn't have a lot to prove. So I think for him it's just more about portraying a message, making some kind of artistic peace and moving forward to like give other people some shine and talking about shine your boy ty dollar sign yeah it's on fade he's good he's great he's also with post malone who's not good no cornball <laughs> cornball it's a great way to, to describe post malone what when i actually wrote down first i didn't even want to write him down here but i knew i probably should to make sure i, I mentioned he was on this song uh, but he, he's so atrocious how could you forget I think I think the part that I mean coming back to this whole idea of Kanye not struggling with something whether that's fame and being married or whatever it is at this point the ending of the song is what really catches me because it almost turns into like a begging or like a screaming by by the sample which would be uh, I know I'm losing you by Rare Earth and then deep inside by a hard drive but just the way that it's produced mm. and it's it's well put together but it's a forgettable song. Yep, definitely forgettable. And it's a... It's an 18-track album. It's kind of long. It is very long. I think what, Late Registration, I believe, is 21 songs. But those also had, had the... That's like six skits. Yeah, I was going to say they had a lot of skits I mean, this has one skit, one basically an interlude, and then the Silver Surfer interlude. So that's mm-hmm. three outro and an intro. An outro. So that's four. Basically, this, this song could be 14 songs. This album could be 14 songs. It's not that cohesive at times. It's incomplete at times. The lyrics can be criticized. But I think the theme, like I said, it's, inco- it's not that cohesive, but the, like the dark themes that we were talking about before and then the high highs of some of the top songs, I think, still make this a really good album. Kanye does not have a bad album to his credit, obviously. He has no. albums that are worse than other ones by default. But this is not a bad album. Not a bad, bad album at all. When I was kind of just reading about it a little bit, Spencer Kornhaber from The Atlantic had a really good line that I think describes Pablo well, kind of going with like the theme of which Pablo is it, Pablo Picasso, whichever. Right. He said, it's a painting that faded except for a couple very vivid colors. And I think that that is really true. This is The songs are, are very, they don't fill your ear on all of them. There's times when it seems very sparse and really stripped down, and times when it seems almost overly, there's like there's too much going on in, in the song. And I think that there's some really great songs off this album. I mean, like you said, I come back to those first four songs just right. immediately. And then, you know, like Real Friends. No more parties in LA, but for the most part, I think this won't be. This won't go down in the likes of, with the likes of my beautiful dark twisted fantasy or college dropout. Right. Thinking about how we rank this as far as compared to the, his, the rest of his albums, which is kind of a dumb thing to do this early because the album. Right. It's. I don't. You can't even purchase the album right now. It's not <laughs> no. on title anymore, and he said he would 
re-release it or fix stuff. So mm-hmm. we're not even we're not even telling the whole story yet. No. But as as it is now, thinking about how I, I stack it up against other albums, I think I'm higher on this than most people are because I'm not like a huge album guy. I don't after listening to an album for the first time a few times, I don't listen to something from the back. Mm-hmm. I keep the songs I like. I delete the songs I don't like or no one listen to. So all the interludes, they'll be gone. Right. I won't have them in my iTunes. I won't have them on my phone. Now, and I'll stick to the top four songs a lot, the ones I really like. And I was thinking about Late Registration. That's an album where I really only like enough to listen to a lot, four or five songs. So I'm not going to rate this any higher or lower than an album like that. That's right. me personally. You can certainly mm-hmm. make in this is top for another day, but I think Late Registration is overrated. Okay. So that's why I like this. I think I like this just as much. Uh, I, I think I can understand that. Late registration, I think, has a special place in my heart because, like, you know, College Dropout was shown to me. Late registration was, like, the first Kanye album right, I Right, that's purchased. a good point. And it, See, was, like, it was also, they were both shown to me. Right. So I, I'm not sure. And I, I think I also have kind of a love-hate with Graduation. Oh, um, yeah. I think two of his worst songs of all time are on that album. What, which ones would you say? Drunk and Hot Girls. Oh, my God. And Barry Bonds. Oh, thank you. Because I've heard some people actually say they like Barry Bonds. And no. it's me who oh, yeah. want to throw up. My roommate. <laughs> <laughs> but, late. I mean, I think I, I ranked it fifth. I think because I put late registration ahead of it and I put graduation ahead of so it. So what's last? Last, I have 808s just because it never really hooked me Fair personally. Enough. But I realized that sonically, it's maybe his like best work. Right. I feel like sonically, 808s and Yeezys are still really sound. Oh, absolutely. And some, I think Yeezys actually has to the test of time really well. People, yeah. a lot, most people that are like Kanye fans listen to rap a lot mm-hmm. are higher on Yeezys than anyone they've ever been. And I think that that's just a. And that was before this came out too. Right. I think that that's just a testament to how good these albums are. Right. Because, like, I think I really, on any given day, could move three through seven in his solo catalogs up right. and down and change the order. Sure. And it's just depending on my mood. But they're all they're all worthy of being top three, I think, at right. points. Um, but obviously, I mean, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy and College Dropout would be his two undisputed best works. Right. But I, th- I think what you said about him being a great album rapper is a great point oh, yeah. that's, that's the like people will probably probably rightfully so say Jay-Z is the best rapper mm-hmm. but Jay-Z has four garbage albums <sighs> Kingdom Come Blueprint 2 yep. uh, The Dynasty and uh, both of those R. Kelly collabs <laughs> and the Linkin Park album and Volume 3 and yeah, yeah. Jay-Z's got a lot of fat that you need to trim out of that catalog Kanye does not Absolutely, and I, just thinking about Kanye from a perspective of an artist is I think he takes that title seriously. You know, yeah, he's a perfectionist. Exactly, and I, I think even though he realizes that not every single song is going to be his best song, mm-hmm. that he realizes that what it means to like the whole, what it means to the message he's trying to get across is more important. At least I think that's more important to him. I think that that's why his albums always come out as works of art in a way. Right. I mean, even his album covers have something to do with. Yeah. With and which is huge. I mean, you don't see that a lot nowadays. Which uh, which title did you want, like Pablo to go by? I there, think there was four titles in the end. I think Swish was. Really? I think so. Help me, God was awesome just because it was like a transition from Jesus. Yeah, that that would have been a, a great one. But I mean, Swish is just Swish like a cool. great rap title name. I mean, yeah, like sure. You, you hit a great shot at Swish. I mean, like, I don't know. And then, and then using the NBA Jam Swish sound at, at the end of real, uh, No More Parties in L.A. But The Life of Pablo, it, an interesting choice, and it adds this 
whole conversation around which one they choose why he has the whole the which one even on the album cover with the you know the people getting married his family getting married and then the big booty girl at the bottom yeah so <laughs> it's Kanye's always interesting yep if nothing he's never boring which is moving forward I don't I've sincerely doubt that summer album happens me too I'm kind of I'd be content if this is his last thing it's cl- less than his last album, just because it's very clear that he's having trouble balancing his fashion and other art pursuits in general, the video game stuff, music, and then his high-profile family and personal life. Well, he's trying to start Donda, which is like his all-encompassing, I don't even know, his, I guess, production company would right. be what it's well, called. It's really telling that he transitioned artist control of good music to Pusha T, right. because he simply doesn't have the time. Mm-hmm. And... It'd be awesome if good music could ever get back to the point it was at in 2010 when the Good Friday series was, was happening. Awesome. I mean, that, that was that's an parallel in terms of rap groups, and they used the word Good Fridays, phrase Good Fridays, a few times this mm-hmm. summer, uh, this leading up to the Life of Pablo right. releasing songs, but it wasn't even close. And they were, they, it was Good Mondays a few times, it was Good Saturday. Like they, it wasn't. I feel like it was kind of shouldn't have used the name, but if he releases the summer album, or we even hear some songs before then. Then maybe I'll revisit that point. I, I got to see it now. Well, he said he had what forty songs with Kendrick, forty songs with Young Thug. And, yeah, I don't need to see I that many Thug songs. No, no. <laughs> but I, I think, I think he has a lot that he could probably throw on, and yeah. it would be a decent album. But I, I, I don't want him to rush it. Like I, I like no. having a Kanye album that comes out and he puts a lot of work into it. And this was I want him to not live in LA anymore. I, <laughs> it's a distraction. I well, I mean, I think. For him, no he, parties. he <laughs> I think he just has so much going on. I mean, he's a, he's a father, he wants to be a fashion designer, he wants to start this production company, he's a rapper, he's on his wife's reality TV show and dealing with all that. And he's a megalomaniac. Yeah. I mean, so, and, and, there's so much to worry about. And, and he's off his Lexapro, so, which we found out throughout through the album. So yeah. he's got a lot going on. I, I want him to take a break, recharge your batteries, Kanye, and then bring me another classic album in like two years. Let me digest That'd Pablo be cool. in that time. That'd be cool. So any, any last thoughts on Life of Pablo? If you think it's his worst album, you're not listening. I, I think that, that that's actually a really great point. And in general, once again, if you say his albums get worse as they go, you're not a real fan of rap music. Or just music in general. Yeah, you, you just you just want to say something that's negative. Right. Because you just want to say something. Worthless take, keep it to yourself. Yeah, I, I think maybe my last thought on... on the whole thing is a lot of times people are so turned off by Kanye the person yep. and people are like How which is understandable oh he's not a, he's not a, a really he's not likable or he's not relatable at the end no. of the day either but the thing is I don't listen to Kanye because I want him to be my president or be my dad or my friend I want him to make music that makes me feel something and he always does which yeah. is more than you can say for all for a lot of artists out there right so I think that Life of Pablo definitely did that it really evoked different emotions those highs and lows we talked about let's hear those Kendrick songs yes I think that wraps up our Life of Pablo talk yeah what do you want to talk about next week, Dave? Next week, we're going to look at television in general, the state of television, what shows are on right now, what we're watching, what we're looking forward to. There's a lot of good stuff to talk about. Peak TV, Golden mm-hmm. Age of Television, is a very real thing. Mm-hmm. And there's something you're probably not watching they should be watching. So tune in next week at soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod. Follow us on Twitter at nostalgiapod. Next week, we'll be on iTunes and Stitcher. And as always... Hit us up with some tweets if you have any ideas or thoughts or takes or anything. But if you're telling me Life Pablo's the worst Kanye album, don't tweet that out. That would be it for us. <laughs>
And this here's been a long round, so I gotta go. It's logic. The one nobody would vouch for. How's that shit for an outro?